let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into this new series, and I hope you love it, but if you don't, it's too late. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we know that you brought us here, and you're a good God who wants to talk to his children, and our prayer today, Lord, is that as we open your word and, and dig deep and kind of dissect some of what is written in the Bible, that you will cause those words to jump off the pages and into our heart and change us so that when we leave here, God, today, we'll be different than when we came in. All glory goes to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, this series we're kicking off today is called Lyrics, and the reason we're calling it Lyrics is because we're, we're taking several weeks and we're going to look through the book of Psalms. And if you don't know this, if you haven't been around the Bible or church much in your life, a lot of the Psalms that are written are actually songs or poems. They're written in verse form. And so we thought we would take some of these songs and look deeper at them at what the author was really trying to say and what God was trying to say to us in 2017 through these psalms. But the key and the reason we chose the the title lyrics is because uh, a lot of these psalms that were written, the guys would play them. For instance, uh, David wrote a ton of the psalms and often uh, theologians believe he would he would have some kind of an instrument, a harp or something, and he would sing it as he was playing it. And, and that's what we're going to do. And so I thought it would take a, a second uh, at the beginning today to kind of just talk about music. And really what I wanted to do, and I chickened out, so pray for me that I won't be afraid next time. I really wanted, when Brandon said, hey, turn around, shake some hands, and we'll get started, I really wanted ACDC Thunderstruck to start playing uh, as my walk-up music. You know, like baseball players always get walk-up music, you know, and I, I totally missed it, and so I'm sorry. But next Sunday, if you hear an amazing song as you're shaking hands, you'll know why. It's because I wanted walk-up music, and, and I realize that most pastors in the world don't have walk-up music, and we won't do it every week, but uh, I just might. You never know. So uh, here's, here's what we know about music. First of all, everybody in this room would agree music is powerful. It, it moves us. Music moves us. Uh, everyone in the world, regardless of what type of music you're bent toward or what type of songs are your favorites, everybody can be moved by music. Music inspires us. It fires us up. It makes us want to dance. It makes us sad sometimes. It makes us smile sometimes. Sometimes it takes us back to a place in our lives that we remember before. It, it, it brings up some specific memory. I don't know if that happens to you, but I know it does me. Music is powerful. And so as a part of this series, we thought it would be fun, enlightening, uh, maybe slightly disturbing, interesting, whatever, to take some of our leadership teams, starting with me, and share with you some of the music that has impacted our lives over the years. And so I'm going to go first, and, and throughout this series we'll bring different team members up here and let them uh, explain why these songs moved them or, or played a particular role in their lives. And so we're not going to play very much of each song, but just listen, and then I'll explain why this song kind of makes it on my Mount Rushmore of, of music in my life. Okay, so here's number one. Hit it. Yeah, you know, right? So, let it, just keep letting it play for a minute. So, when I think of this song, I think one thing. Skating rink. 
couple skate, right? Like toward the end of the night, the, the guy on the intercom would just come over and go, couple skate, couple skate. And then you're, you're, your heart starts beating, you're 14 years old, and you're like, who am I going to ask to skate with me? And the disco, anyway, okay, that one's good, that one's good. That's not, all right. So, see, just a, a particular moment in your life. How about this one? See, uh, I told you beforehand that some music makes you want to dance and as soon as that music started I saw like eight people want to really bad and it's okay you're safe in the bridge we might video it and use it against you later but you can dance in here okay all right that's good so so that song takes me back to a particular time in my life when I was coaching high school football and some of you may not know that but I spent a season of my life as as a high school football coach and I had the privilege and this is going to sound so arrogant and maybe it is just a little bit but I had the privilege it had nothing to do with me I promise but I was I was on a coaching staff of a high school football team that won 44 games in a row three state back back to back to back state championships I was just a lowly scout coached running backs coached the junior high team but I got to be a part of it and every single Friday night that we would win that's the song that would play after we won you know and, and it was and, and I remember the night that we didn't win and we didn't play that song and it was like this very difficult moment in our lives because we didn't hear cool in the game but anyway so that that took me back to a very specific moment how about this one now, I don't know how many of you relate to this song we'll let it play for a minute uh, this is, uh, if you like classic rock, this is your jam right here. This is the band Credence Clearwater Revival, right? And uh, this is uh, one of the Fogarty brothers are singing. I don't know who it is, but here's the point. Thanks, thanks, David. So, so that song, yeah, sing it, whoever is doing that. Um, that song reminds me of my dad. And uh, I'm not trying to like make it all somber, it's okay, but I lost my dad four years ago at the very young age of 64, and he was a classic rock dude. I mean, he was born in the early 50s and, you know, grew up in that era, and he taught me uh, about CCR, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and actually a lot of classic rock, which is basically all I listen to today, and I can, I can take it directly back to my dad, and, and he was actually my stepdad who when my biological father left when I was young, he stepped in that void. He had never had kids. He didn't know what that looked like, but he took on three little munchkins and a single mom and, and made a huge difference in our lives. And so this is a true story. When he passed away in 2013, um, I had to go to the funeral home to pick up his ashes. He was cremated after, after uh, his death. And uh, I, I was, my job was to go to the funeral home, pick up the ashes and take it back and put it on the mantle at my mom's house, uh, which just, by the way, I think it's a little creepy, but anyway, I, you know, it's whatever, <laughs> if you want, there's dad, he's watching TV with us or whatever, but, uh, but I, I went and got his ashes and, uh, uh, I put it, put him, them ashes, I don't know, whatever you want to call it in the car with me. And I had this moment where it was just this connection back to my stepdad and just all the, and so judge me if you will, but I put on CCR and I took the long way home to my mom's house. And me and my dad just 
went for one final ride listening to the Fogarty Brothers, and it was good. So, so that's one of mine. Okay, uh, this next one's going to go back to football, and uh, I hope some of you relate to this one. Yeah, I see you, Ed Bobbin. It's okay, you can Ed Bobbin first. So this is ACDC, Back in Black. And this was one of those bands that when I was a teenager, my mom said I wasn't allowed to listen to. It's in my top five, so obviously I didn't obey very well because I love this song. Uh, that's good, thanks, David. This was the song that was on my Sony Walkman and my cassette tape player before, uh, before the ball game, right? You know, on Friday nights when I was getting ready to play, this is what I would listen to and... It, it was amazing. I actually went to a Christian high school, and so I had to sneak the ACDC tape in there to listen to, but uh, don't follow my example. And then finally, one more, one more. This one, uh, I'll just set up uh, before we play it. Uh, I, I, I love classic rock, but there are just some songs, and it's not all classic rock. There are just some songs that when it's on, you just feel like you need to roll down the window, go for a drive, Turn it up really loud. You know what I'm talking about. It's that kind of just driving song, and this is this is one of mine right here. Probably the greatest band to ever walk on the face of the earth, right? The Eagles. And uh, this is just one of those songs where when when it starts, you're just like, man, I need to go for a drive. I need the windows down. I would say the wind blowing in my hair, but that doesn't apply. Uh, anyway, just. If we ever, uh, if, if you ever have, if you're ever on a game show and the and the category is Eagles lyrics and you need to phone a friend, I'm your guy. Okay, so anyway, that's good. Thank you, thank you. So, so you get what we're saying, right? Music moves us. And as I was playing all those silly songs, maybe you were sitting there going, huh, what? What's on the Mount Rushmore of my songs? What, what songs really played a role in my life? And, and, and the, the reason you can do that and the reason that we can walk down memory lane with all of my songs is because God created music and I believe with all my heart he created it to move us and to stir something in us. And that's why I, I feel pretty certain that God knew the impact music could have when he inspired these authors, David and some other guys, to write the Psalms in the midst of trials and uncertainty and struggle and pain and doubt and maybe even some happy times. Uh, these guys wrote out lyrics to songs that told the story of how they were feeling in that moment. That, that's what they're doing. And these lyrics captured that season, that trial, that victory in their lives. And I believe God had them write it down so that we could have it thousands of years later so we could have something to go. And, and I'm not talking about ACDC right now. I'm talking about the Psalms, okay? So that we could read one of these or hear one of these because a lot of worship songs that we play in here are actually Scripture. And many times they're from the Psalms. And uh, we could hear or read one of these psalms and we could relate and go, that's exactly how I feel right now. That's how music does in our lives and that's how the psalms can, can be used in, in our lives. I'll, I'll come back to this at the end of our message today, but one of the things I want to challenge you to do while we're in this series, because we'll, this series is seven weeks long, and uh, there's this plan, there's this uh, uh, system, if you, if you do it, where you read the psalm for that day, right? So today's October 22nd, so you could start today and read the psalm for today, 
and then you read the Psalm 30 ahead of that, 30 ahead of that, and 30 ahead of that. It's kind of called the Psalm 30 plan. And if you do that, so if you read the Psalm for that day, the one 30 ahead of that, so it'd be 52, the one 30 ahead of that, 82, and so forth, and you read, do that system each day, you'd read three or four Psalms each day, in one month, you'd read through all 150 Psalms. And, and I want to encourage you to just take that challenge and find a, find a version of the Bible that you can really relate to because even though some of this was like, it's so funny because there are people that go, King James only, man, I'm only, you know, that, that's, the, that's the version of the Bible that God wrote. Well, actually, that's not true because the version of the Bible that God wrote wasn't even in English. Uh, and so, you know, so, uh, several millennia later, some guys in England wrote the King James version. And, and so find a version that's not these and thous and stuff that you don't understand, but read through these Psalms as we're reading through these. And I believe that God will use it to encourage you, inspire you, move you, etc. So the first one we're going to tackle uh, out, of, out of these 150 psalms is probably the most famous of all the psalms and maybe the most famous passage in all the Bible. It's Psalm 23. And I've met people who actually didn't even know that was in the Bible. They just knew it was really famous and they'd seen it on people's walls and all that. But I think I want us to read through all six verses and then just kind of break it down and 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 dissect a, a few really hard, good, solid truths that God wants to share with us today. So let's read, starting in uh, verse 1 of Psalm 23, the Bible says this, The Lord is my shepherd. And we're going to break that down in a minute. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me to calm water. He gives me new strength. He leads me on paths that are right for the good of his name. Notice he doesn't say the good of your name, right? He leads me on paths that are right for the good of his name. Verse 4, even if I walk through a very dark valley, I will not be afraid because you are with me. Your rod and your shepherd's staff, they comfort me. Verse 5, you prepare a meal for me in front of my enemies. You pour oil of blessing on my head. You fill my cup to overflowing. I love this last verse. Surely your goodness and love, and he's talking to God right now, surely your goodness and love will be with me all my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. One of the things that I love about the Psalms, and again, David wrote a lot of these, but not all of them, is that uh, when David writes these, and, and this one we're reading today, Psalm 23, is definitely a David psalm. It's one that he wrote. And, and what I love is that David doesn't pull any punches when he writes in the Psalms. He tells God exactly how he feels in that moment. And so it's kind of like a lot of the Psalms that David wrote, they kind of go like this. They start and they go, Lord, you're awesome. My life really sucks. Lord, you're awesome. You know, and it's like all over the map emotionally, you know. And so he's having these good moments where he's like, thank you, Lord, for everything. Lord, why have you deserted me? Why are you so mad at me? You know, where'd you go? And he's, you know, he's all over the map. It's interesting, though. Uh, many theologians believe this psalm that we're reading today, Psalm 23, is the only David psalm where there's not a negative part. Or shall we call it a whiny part? 
There's not this moment where David's going, man, God, do your job better, or you forgot about me, or whatever. It, it's, it's total encouragement from a guy who had walked a long journey. And, and many theologians believe that um, this Psalm 23, even though it's an earlier psalm, was actually written in David's later years uh, of his life. And, and you can hear the wisdom coming from this that basically says no, no matter what you're walking through, God's there. He's there. He's in that moment with you, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so, so David, the, the other psalms that David writes, though, are, are these, these uh, combinations of really high moments and really low moments. It's kind of like David was the bipolar author of the Bible kind of deal. And, and, and a lot of us, including this guy, struggle with those tendencies where in one moment, depending on our circumstances, we're on top of the mountain and we're like, man, life is good. And then our circumstances change and we're like, I have the worst life in the history of the world and nobody cares about it. And he's really good at this. As I was studying this week and reading some of the other Psalms, it dawned on me that basically David is the country music artist of the Bible, right? Because that's how a lot of his psalms sound. They sound like a country music song. I lost my dog, I lost my girl, my truck broke down, I need a beer. You know, kind of one of those, you know, kind of songs. And that's how a lot of David's sound is those country song moments uh, in it. Now, what I want us to pull out of this is, uh, is that David is modeling for us something that every Christian, every believer, every person in this world, really, whether you've handed over the keys of your life to Jesus Christ or not, you need to understand this, okay? And it's the art of confession. When, when, when David pours out his heart to God in these Psalms, he's, he's bearing his soul to his Savior, to his Creator. And so there are a couple of things that we can learn from that. I want to put them up here on the screen and, and just let this settle for a minute. First of all, you need to know that confession about our current circumstances and how we feel are not for God. Your confession is not for God. Like when you confess something, whether you're, you've done something wrong, it's that type of confession, or you're, you're sad and you're struggling, when, when you confess those to God, he's not like, what? I had no idea. Like he's not shocked, right? He already knew all of that. So confession is not for God. He already knows everything. Confession is for broken and messy humans who need to be reminded of God's proper place in our lives. And that proper place is on the throne, in control. He's driving this ship. He, he's the one that's in control of the whole thing. And, and, and I think you're going to be more encouraged than you possibly could imagine by Psalm 23 and reading through the Psalms in this next month or so if you'll understand this. Regardless of your current circumstance, God knows about it. He allowed it. He's not shocked by it. He's not discouraged by it. And wait, here it is. It's all a part of his plan, every bit of it. Even the really ugly parts are a part of his plan. And we'll get back to that at, at, at the end. So, so what I want to do is pull out three parts of this psalm and break them down a little bit and go deeper to encourage us as we go out and live our lives this week and maybe deal with circumstances that we're facing. But let's go back to verse 1 and break this first verse down. It says, now David is talking, right? And he's talking to God, but he's kind of talking to God as a third person right here. He's saying, you, God, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. And, and we emphasize shepherd on purpose. I'll come back to that. 
And then he says something really important for all of us to understand. And we kind of hit on this last week in our, in our last week of Bulletproof, our man series. He says, I have everything I need. And the important part of that is that a lot of humans, starting with this one right here, we live and judge the quality of our life based on what we want, not always what we need. We, we look at our life circumstances and, and the lot that God has given us, and we go, well, fine, but I don't have that. Or fine, but you, didn't, you, you let this happen, but you didn't let this happen. And we kind of get in this negotiation mode with God of, hey, if, you know what, if, if I live my life better, will you please fill in the blank? And we kind of start playing roulette with God, and, and that was never his intentions. And again, like we said last week, we're not saying that your wants and desires are not important to God. Listen to me today. Everything about your life is important to God. Everything. But David is telling us here that life is not all about your wants and desires. In fact, he's saying, God, a holy God, who sent his only son to die in your place, has already given you everything you need. And you might be sitting there today going, man, you, I can't even pay the rent. What do you mean every, everything I need? I, I've got debt building up and, and you know, this is going on in my life and my car's broke down again. And Listen to me. Not wants and desires. You have everything you need to be the person that God wants you to have. And the absence of some of the things in your life that you would like to be present in your life is actually by design from God to protect you from those things or because he knows that you couldn't handle having that in your life right now or he has it removed from your life right now so you'll turn your focus on him even if it's out of desperation sometimes and you'll, you'll refocus and recalibrate who he is in your life. And so let's go back to that. Who is he? The Lord is my shepherd. The fact that David is referring to God as a shepherd indicates that he's in a season of his life where he really understands who God is. And, and, and you've got to understand shepherds during the time, thousands of years ago when David is writing this, shepherds had three jobs, right? They had three jobs to take care of their sheep. And, and they watched other animals too, but we kind of typically think of sheep when we think of shepherds. Shepherds provide for their sheep, meaning they make sure they have plenty to eat, right? They care for their sheep, meaning when they're wounded or sick, they take care of them and nurse them back to health. And then they protect their sheep. And, the, and they watch out for predators. And they guard their sheep and make sure no, no predator animal is getting into the flock uh, to attack their sheep. And, and when I read those things, I know that it's tempting for all of us provide, care, and protect. You may be in a moment of your life right now where you're like, well, God's failing on at least one of those in my life because he sure didn't protect me from, or I really needed this and I didn't. And, and, and what's happening when we do that, when, when, we, when we judge the shepherd by the circumstances in our lives, we're indicating that our focus has shifted from who he is as the shepherd 
to the immediate moment in our lives, and that's what we've placed our focus on. In other words, we are focused on, it's really hard right now, it's really scary, it's uncertain, I'm sad, this happened, and we put our focus on that, and when we do, it opens the door for the enemy or the chatterbox to get inside your head and whisper things like, see, I told you God didn't really care about you. I told you all that stuff that Steve says on Sunday mornings, that's for somebody else, not for you. That's why it's so important in every season and moment of our lives to put the focus on the shepherd, not the situation. We have to keep our focus correct. And that brings us to this question, and and it's a question for you to wrestle with today. Do I really believe that God can and will take care of me and the ones I love? Do I really believe that? And and let let me... Let me emphasize those two words, can and will, because there's probably somebody in the room today, or at least somebody you know and you're close to, that doesn't believe God is who he says he is. I I can remember 30 years ago in my life being that person that would hear of people going to church on Sunday morning, people being in a small group and doing things with their church, and I would just roll my eyes and go, really? God's not... If there is a God up there in heaven, he's way too busy to worry about you. That's what I used to think. And so maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're doubting whether God really has the power to shepherd your life where he wants it or not. And then, and then maybe you're sitting here and all your life you've believed that he can. It's just, does he want to? Will he? Like, I, I know who God is, but will he take care of me? Like, I know he takes care of those other people, but will he, will he take care of me and the ones, the people that I love most in my life? And when you're, when you're asking that question, it's usually an indication that the chatterbox, the enemy, has gotten in your head and made you doubt, listen to me, either you think something's wrong with God or something's wrong with you. And here's, I get to be the bearer of the good news today. Okay, listen to me. There is nothing wrong with God. His plan is fully intact no matter what your life circumstance looks like right now. Now, there are choices that we make in our lives that can maybe alter the course of the plan, but the plan to give you hope and a future, to use you to impact the lives of other people, to use you to bring glory to God who is in heaven, that plan stays intact no matter what. And so, so the good news is God's plan is fully intact he's not going anywhere and 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 we'll come back to that in a minute the other half of that is the the chatterbox or the enemy will talk you into believing that something's wrong with you well i must have done something so bad that god doesn't want anything to do with me anymore this must be happening in my life because of something i did when i was a little kid uh really little i had really really severe asthma and actually at 18 months old i was misdiagnosed with cystic fibrosis because the respiratory uh problems were so bad i i uh, had 21 hospital visits overnight before i was 10 years old and several and actually i don't know if there's any seinfeld fans and you remember the bubble boy episode i was actually the bubble boy in real life for 10 days because my respiratory and when I was nine years old I had respiratory failure and they had to bring in the you know the carts and all that and I remember later on in life my mom telling me this and she was teaching me and she still continues to do that to this day she said a lot of my friends would come to me and say Pat what did you do 
to cause God to make little Stephen so sick. What a, what a broken thing to say. Like, God's doing this. God's making your son sick because of something you did. And, and listen to me, before you shake your head and go, I can't imagine. We talk ourselves into believing that kind of stuff sometimes. Because here's the conversation we have with ourselves in front of God. Well, I didn't get that promotion. It must be because of... Or, you know what, man, this isn't happening in my life, and the reason God isn't blessing me with this is because I did this. And if you're having conversations like that with yourself, you are forgetting the cross. Because every poor decision you and I have ever made or will ever make was buried, defeated forever at the cross. There, there's never a moment where God's in heaven going, oh, you did that, huh? Well, you just watch this. All that was taken care of when Jesus died on the cross. That's, that's why he was there. It's so that we didn't have to carry that baggage. And so I want to encourage you this morning, don't carry baggage that doesn't belong on your shoulders. So in this, in this uh, heart or, or moment of doubting or wondering, can and will God really take care of my life? I want to share a little bit about my trip this week. I had to go to Atlanta for some meetings, and like church planter meetings. And what that means is I had to get on an airplane. And those of you who know me well, uh, inside your hearts, you're shaking your head in shame and rolling your eyes and giggling at me because you know I hate flying. I repeat, I hate flying. And that's not, that's not a true statement. What I really hate is turbulence and dying. That's what I really hate, okay? But because those two are factors when you fly, I hate flying. And this week I, I had to go get on a plane. And, and this, is, this is how the conversation many times goes when Steve Ferris is on an airplane and, and turbulence hits, right? When, when turbulence comes, the conversation between me and God goes like this. God, please don't let me die. That's step one, right? And God says, why not? And I'm thinking, because I don't want to die, God. Well, what if you do die? Then what? And then I have this moment, just brief moment of clarity, and I go, well, I would spend forever with you in heaven. Oh, but that would leave Michelle and the girls without me. And then God says, oh my, who would ever take care of them if you weren't here? Right? It's this touche moment where, where I'm like, oh, oh yeah. I'm not even in control here. And, and flying is, is a great lesson for that because once you buckle in and they close the cabin door, and you, control is over. Like, you can freak out all you want, but you're going in the air. And even when you're in the air and you hit turbulence and it gets bumpy, there's really nothing you can do except trust the pilot. You've got to trust that he's in control. And he, he, I, I, I had a friend of mine tell me this story this week because when I got to Atlanta, you know, guys I haven't seen in a while, they're like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, good, now that I'm on ground. Uh, and uh, I had a friend of mine tell me a story about a pilot friend of his who said uh, one time he was flying and, and the plane hit some turbulence and, and, uh, and they landed and everybody getting off the plane was shaking the pilot's hand going, thank you so much, thank you, oh my gosh, thank you, you're our hero, and, and he's looking around going, that was not even a big deal, like, like there was nothing to be afraid of, and he said, then there was a time when we had electrical failure, 
And I had to take this plane from 30,000 feet to the ground like that, and nobody even noticed. He said, passengers on the plane, for some reason, always notice the turbulence. Isn't that interesting? We always notice the turbulence. We, we don't stop and rejoice in the moments where it really was a dangerous moment and God was taking care of us all along. We're just worried about our own discomfort and the turbulence that comes. And so as we're talking about this, you know, I mentioned one of the roles of the shepherd is to protect. Look at this on the screen. Protect doesn't mean making sure nothing bad ever happens to you. That's not, what, that's not what it means for God the shepherd to be your protector. It doesn't mean that you get to skate through life free with no turbulence. Here's what it does mean. It means if God allows you to go through it, he'll provide the strength to get through it. And, and here's another one. It means, it, it means that he may allow you to go through a very turbulent time in your life but he's not going to waste that moment. If you've walked through tragedy in your life, then categorically, 100%, God's plan is for you to use that tragedy to encourage someone else's life or to help them get through the same tragedy. The third thing that I would say that, that it means, actually, this protect. It doesn't mean skate free, you know, free pass, never... Eat, ever bad things happen to you the other thing is I think he allows difficult moments in our lives to recalibrate our focus to the shepherd because it's in those turbulent moments right like if if the flight is completely smooth then we're looking at a magazine we're on our phone playing a game or whatever it's when the turbulence comes that we grab the seat and we go oh Jesus I love you please don't let this plane go you know it's in those moments that that we focus on God and so as crazy as this sounds we ought to be grateful for the turbulence we ought to be grateful for the bumpy moments because they put our focus back where it should be. Let's, let's move on to verse 4. Because he, he continues this conversation of really hard seasons and, and he just goes there, but he, he, he has some amazing encouragement for us in verse 4. This is what David said in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through a very dark valley, some people in here can relate, maybe even right now, Look what he says, I will not be afraid. And notice, he doesn't say, I won't be afraid because I'm strong. He doesn't say, I won't be afraid because I have plenty of money in the bank. I, I won't be afraid because I have these gifts and talents. He says, I will not be afraid because you are with me. Notice David's confidence is not in himself. In the dark valley, his confidence is because God is there. And then he says this interesting statement at the end of verse 4. He says, your rod and your shepherd's staff, they comfort me. And if you don't know this, like uh, shepherds used to carry a stick. And, and there are a couple of Hebrew words that mean basically the same thing. But it's a little different than, than the stick we picture Moses having over the Red Sea with Charlton Heston and all that kind of stuff. But it's some kind of stick, branch, or something. And shepherds used it for two, two things. Sometimes the shepherd used it to discipline the sheep when they would wander off. He would grab them and pull them back or tap them back into the fold. 
But the other reason was to protect, right? In case a predator came along, that stick was there so that the shepherd could fight off the enemies of the sheep. And so I love this part where he says, I will not be afraid because you are with me. And I don't think that afraid means absence of fear ever. I think it means peace in the midst of the fear because I know who's with me. And so this is a question I just have for you. What are you afraid of? Like I I told you, I'm afraid of turbulence, dying, whatever, crashing a plane. Is it failure? Loneliness? Lack of acceptance and approval? Financial discomfort? Physical illness? Someone abandoning you? What, What dark valley is it that makes you afraid? And you may be sitting here this morning thinking, I'm walking through it right now. Well, here's the good news. In your dark valley, God is present, real, not make-believe. He's real, he's concerned, he's interested, and listen to me, he is confident in your situation at that moment, no matter how dark it sounds to you. Here's some really good advice. When you find yourself in a dark valley, don't ignore God or run from him. That's a bad plan. And that's kind of the human plan, isn't it? We kind of isolate ourselves and stiff-arm God and shake our head and go, nope, you got me into this mess. I'm not going to trust you. Listen to me. Bailing on God in your darkest moments is a really bad strategy. In fact, here's an even better plan. Look at this. A better plan would be to get to know God before the dark valley comes. Then you'll understand who, your shepherd, is walking beside you in the valley. Don't wait till the turbulence comes to grab the seat and start saying, God, I want to know you. Get to know him before that valley comes. Then you, along with David, can say, dark valley, yes. Am I afraid? No, because I know who's walking with me. Look at this. How about about get to know God before the dark valley comes so that when he speaks to you in the difficult moments, you'll recognize his voice. It's one of the things that historians, and I'm not talking about biblical theologians, I'm talking about secular historians believe that sheep for millennial, millennial, millennial have learned to recognize their shepherd's voice. And many times the shepherd is kind of like your dog knows when you're calling him home. When the, shepherd, when the sheep would stray away, the, the shepherds would have different calls or different sounds that they would yell out. And there's shepherds all over the, the area there, but the sheep would recognize their shepherd's voice and come running. Now, don't miss this, okay? If God is going to use dark valleys to teach you something, then we got to listen in that moment. And if we're going to listen and learn in the moment that he has us in, no matter how dark or or trying it may be, then we have to get to know him enough where we'll recognize his voice. Otherwise, it'll just be chatter, and we won't understand what's going on. But the more you connect with God, the the more time you spend with him, the, the, the sweeter seasons that you have getting to know him through his word and through prayer and through worship, then when those dark moments come and he wants to speak to you in those moments, you'll know who's talking. Right? We we talk about this around the bridge all the time. It's called chair time. 
And one of, the, one of the things I want to encourage you as we go through this series, and we talked about reading through the Psalms, and, and I don't really care what you read, I just want to challenge you to find a chair somewhere and commit to 15 minutes a day, just you and God. And, and let, me, let me show you what I'm talking about there. Like, I hear many of you guys say every week, and this, this comforts me because it tells me we're on the right track. We want this moment right here on Sunday mornings to inspire, to move, to challenge, to be refuge, to encourage, to pull you back up after a really difficult week. That's why we do it, is so we can connect with God. Okay, but watch this. What if you didn't just rely on one fill-up a week in this room sitting in a chair? What if you made an appointment with God every single day for just 15 minutes and and said, I want to know my shepherd? I believe if you'll commit to that, the way you see dark valleys will change forever. The way you see your wants and desires versus your needs will never be the same because you understand the shepherd more. It's kind of like parenting, right? You guys that have kids or have raised kids like Michelle and I have, like there are moments in your children's lives where you are acting in their best interests even though it feels like you're, you're causing harm to their lives. Like they're thinking, mom and dad, you just don't understand, but you as the parent, you really are the one who understands. And you're acting on their behalf, even though it's painful sometimes. Just for time, I want to skip to this. Look at this statement on the screen. Uh, Lindsay, it's, it's a couple ahead. It says this. God doesn't allow you to walk through dark valleys because he finds joy in watching you suffer. It's not, it's not who God is. He's not out to get you. He's not, he's, he's not out for revenge because you did something wrong. He allows it, the dark valleys, so your faith in him will grow stronger and as a result, you become more like the person he created you to be. Like that, that's the design. And, and I think it's important for all of us, and listen to me, even right now in my life, there are moments where I forget the big picture and my, my lens zooms in to the dark valley, the circumstance that I'm walking through, and I forget that even this is a part of the plan. Wait a minute, are you saying that God's, part of God's plan is to make me suffer? Yep. And I realize not every pastor teaches that, but that's what God's word teaches, so that's what we're going to teach. And, and the reason he allows things like that to happen are because it chisels you. It breaks apart the parts that you don't need and it, it breaks through to understanding who God really is and what he wants for your life. There's this passage in Genesis chapter 50 and we don't have time to go there, but basically the paraphrase that you've heard all of your life goes like this. What man meant for evil, God uses for good, Right? And, and that, that's a truth that we need to grasp in this moment, whether, whether you paste Psalms 23 somewhere in your house, put it on your fridge or whatever, or you just hide it in your heart, you need to know that in the big picture, whatever it is you go through, even if it's a decision that somebody else made and landed on you, or something way beyond your control that you didn't even ask for, those moments are there, and they are part of the overall plan for good by God. In other words, the situation may not be good, but the God is good and the God's plan is good. 
That's what we've got to grasp. I heard a friend of mine tell this story this week at this conference. Uh, it's about Fidel Castro in Cuba. And uh, when he took control, if you don't know, he was a communist leader uh, uh, of the country of Cuba, and there was just a lot of turmoil and strife. And one of the things that Castro did when he took office is he started systematically wiping out all churches. And he made a law that um, uh, certain uh, buildings could not be used as houses of worship. And what that did is he, he drove people to house churches. So people that were meeting in public buildings had to now meeting, meet in their homes. And, and these churches started growing like crazy inside homes. And so Castro found out about it and he made a rule that you couldn't, uh, you couldn't add an extra bathroom onto your house for the purpose of meeting as a church. And he did everything he could to stop the growth of God's church, right? He meant it for evil. But what pastors and experts that have studied this gospel movement in, in Cuba that's going on right now as we're sitting here today is that the fact that Castro outlawed church buildings and sent the churches to meet in homes caused explosive growth in the church across Cuba. And people that never would have walked in the doors of a public building to worship with a church were going across the street to their neighbor's house and getting saved and becoming believers. What, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And can you imagine being in the moment and being one of those Cuban pastors and going, my, my livelihood, my whole calling has been taken away. It hasn't been taken away. God just threw you a curveball. And he threw the curveball because the curveball is part of the plan. So this last part that he says in verse 5 and 6, he says this, You're, you, you pour oil of blessing on my head. You fill my cup to overflowing. And this is, listen to this in verse 6. Surely, and, and it's not surely like you and I say it sometimes, like surely that's not going to happen again. And that's kind of like hoping it doesn't. This is like definite positively surely your goodness and love will be with me all my life and I love that he ends on that because here's what it says to you and I look at this on the screen Jesus has not and will not ever give up on you he just hasn't in, in this moment that David's walking through, and there's another part of verse 5 that talks about him in front of his enemies. And, and listen, there were still people out to get David. His focus was just different. His circumstances hadn't changed. He was still battling things here on earth. His view of those battles had changed because he knew who his shepherd was. Right? I want to read something to you real quick uh, that I downloaded off the internet. And... Uh, it's a song that I heard for the first time several months ago. I think it's been out a while. I'm, I'm not a huge listener of Christian radio, and there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just listening to sports radio or podcasts or whatever. I'm just that guy. And, and uh, we went to an event for Allie at her school last, last year, and I heard this song for the first time. And, and just to set it up, the lyrics are written by Hilary Scott, who is uh, part of the band Lady Antebellum, right? And uh, she, uh, these lyrics were written... Uh, because she had lost a child. She, she had gotten pregnant but then lost the baby. And that's one of those moments that kind of, okay, that qualifies as a very dark valley. It's one of those moments, right? 
but I don't want you to listen to these words in the context of what was happening in her life. I want you to listen to these lyrics that she wrote in your context, what you're going through. So as I, as I read these, think about your current circumstance. This is what she wrote. First of all, it sounds like David in the Psalms. She says, I'm so confused. It's her first word. I know I heard you loud and clear, so I followed through. But somehow, I ended up here. I don't want to think, and I may never understand, that my broken heart is actually part of your plan. When I try to play, all I got is hurt in, the, in these four words. And the four words are, thy will be done. When I, when I read these lyrics and when I think about scripture that says thy will be done even in the garden of Gethsemane in Jesus darkest moment he says not my will but your will be done and and the reminder in Psalm 23 it's not about you it's not about your strength it's not about how much you can endure it's about who the shepherd is and, and he's your shepherd. All you've got to do is hand over the keys of your life. And as I was writing this week, I thought of a very heavy topic. And, and this is heavy because not everybody gets this assurance. You're talking about, what, what are you talking about? I thought God loved everybody. He does. But not everybody receives the free gift of salvation. There are some people that choose of their own will to walk through life without the covering of Jesus Christ in their life. But they, they choose. Like, like salvation what Jesus did on the cross when he died for your and my sins it's a free gift but God's not going to make you take it and the way we describe offering accepting that free gift is when you hand over the keys of your life to Jesus Christ and you go you're the shepherd you're the ruler you're the teacher you're the boss you're the friend you drive I trust you with my whole life and therefore I hand over the keys and the sad moment that I had this week is that not everybody chooses that. Some people go, no, I got this. I don't need God. God's for weak people. And the good news is the fact that you're sitting here this morning feels like probably you know who God is and you want some of that in your life. But I just want to remind you, if you've never taken that step in your life where you hand over the keys and trust him with every area of your life, trust him with your family, trust him with your future, trust him with your finances, trust him with your heart and your physical body and everything and his whole plan for your life, do that today. Do that today where you say, today's my day when everything changes and I start trusting Jesus. And I, I can just tell you this as a satisfied customer, I tried both ways. And there is nothing, listen to me, nothing in this world that could ever talk me into going back where I was. Because I traded emptiness, anger, loneliness for hope, peace, and joy. And that's what the shepherd is offering all of us today, regardless of your circumstances. Let's pray. band's going to come and, and lead us in one more song as we close and as they do yes we picked this song on purpose and I want to just challenge you in the quietness of this moment with heads bowed and eyes closed nobody looking around and we say this a lot like bowing your head is not some magical trick 
for God, it just cuts down on distraction. It's just reverent. It, it kind of blocks everything else out so you can focus on you and God. And so in, in this moment as we close today, this song that we chose talks about the posture that you and I should take. And it, it just simply says this, Lord, I need you. I need you today. I need you in my life. I need you in this dark valley. I don't need my own intelligence. I don't need my own strength because none of that's enough. I need you. And what, what we humans are really good at is operating in our own power until the turbulence comes. And then we grab a hold of the seat and start praying like crazy. Please, God, rescue me. Please, God. It's kind of like we think God is AAA. We don't even think about him until we're broken down on the side of the road. And then we call and say, will you come fix this? And then he does. And you're like, okay, leave me alone until I need you again. If that's your view of God, you are missing out. Because a shepherd's not there just to fix things. He wants to teach you daily. He wants to be your friend. He wants to rejoice with you. He wants to cry with you. He wants to recalibrate your view of your whole life in the context of having a shepherd who cares about you so much that he sent his only son to die in your place. That's how much the shepherd cares. He wants you to learn that even the dark valleys are a part of the overall really good plan. And yes, he chooses to allow you to go through dark valleys to chisel away at your life, to get you to understand who's in control, to, to make you a better version of the person that he created you to be. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green pastures. He lets me rest. He leads me to calm waters. He gives me new strength. He gives me new strength. He leads me on the path that is right for the good of His name, not just mine. Even though I walk through a very dark valley, I will not be afraid because you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a meal for me in front of my enemies. You pour oil of blessing on my head. You fill my cup to overflowing. Surely, positively, without a doubt, your goodness and love will be with me all my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, God, for that truth. Thank you, God, that in every season of life, mountaintops and dark valleys, you are there, and you care. You're interested. You're, you're aware. You haven't forgotten us, and you have not and will not give up on us. What a great promise, God. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stay.